BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. 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 This is MRN Radio, the voice of NASCAR. The Motor Racing Network presents an original podcast series, 50 Years, the voice of NASCAR. Earnhardt is using every inch of racetrack, and Elliott gets together with him. Earnhardt goes off in the grass. Certainly his style and his ability on the air, the way he painted a picture. Brings the car back onto the speedway and keeps it in a straight line and holds onto the lead. Juan Pablo Montoya's car has blown apart right with the jet blowers that were working to the high side of the banking. That was so weird because I was taking a little break. I had a little snack and I was drinking some water. All of a sudden I heard this boom. Tony's screaming and hollering and he grabs me by my shoulders with both hands and starts shaking me like I was on fire. That's him screaming. He is a Daytona Beach native. (laughs) He's grabbing and hugging me. Welcome back to MRN Presents 50 Years, the Voice of NASCAR. I'm Fred Armstrong. For 50 years, the Motor Racing Network has been on the air to capture all the jaw-dropping moments. The moments that created legends. And the moments that brought NASCAR Nation together. So come with us as we remember some of the greatest. You can't talk about the clutch moments in NASCAR without discussing the crown jewel of all NASCAR events, the Daytona 500. Well, the most spectacular automobile race in the world, the Daytona 500. We get ready to run the most prestigious stock car race in the world. In this, the greatest stock car race in the world, the Daytona 500. While every clash at the World Center of Racing is spectacular in its own right, certain events punctuate NASCAR history, like the 1976 Great American Race, Richard Petty, David Pearson, jaw-dropping. He shows his nose to the inside, the Purillator Mercury, and now a slower car in the way. David Pearson has the lead going into turn number three. As they hit the banking, they're three abreast with a lap car. Pearson moves in front of the STP Dodge. Petty comes back to the inside. They almost touch as they move down low in the banking. They're going to be side by side as they exit the bank and head for the finish line. Richard Petty goes back in front. They both spin. They're in the wall. Petty is sliding, slamming into the wall. He's coming down toward the finish line. Will he make it? He's still moving the car stops 300 400 feet shy of the finish line Pearson is still running here's Petty trying to fire to come across the line David Pearson moving down through as they come to the stripe the winner is car number 21 it's going to be I believe Pearson's victory will just have to wait and see the uncanny finish is one that still ranks high with NASCAR fans MRN's first general manager, Roger Baer, was there. And makes, I think, the greatest call in, that's ever been made in the sport when he calls that action as they're coming down off turn four, crashing. And I, there I was watching that happen and listening to it on my headset and enjoying it as a race fan and as, a, as the guy at, at MRN Radio enjoying the call even more. MRN veteran Mike Bagley. I remember it as if it happened yesterday, and it's one that I did didn't necessarily comprehend the gravity of when it happened. And that was the 1976 Daytona 500. Ken Squire delivered 
one of the most impeccable calls that this network has ever had. Dave Despain drops Pearson and Petty off to Ken, and then that's when all hell broke loose coming out of turn four. Richard Petty goes back in front. In front, They both spin there in the wall. Petty is sliding, slamming into the wall. And talking those cars through the tri-oval, you know, Pearson is still running. And you're getting this picture like, oh, my God, are they going to make it to the finish line? They're not going to make it. You know, and then it's like, well, who who's next? Well, Benny Parsons with third place. He was a lap down. Ken later would describe he almost had to call Benny Parsons taking the white flag twice. And at the very last minute, Pearson comes to life and the winner is car number 21. David Pearson got the win that day. And I think that that is one of the most priceless calls this network has ever had. We've had a lot over our 50 years, but in my opinion, that is the number one call. MRN personality and NASCAR Hall of Fame executive director Winston Kelly argues that the 1976 Daytona 500 finish is the greatest in NASCAR history. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we've got a, uh, an exhibit uh, in the Hall of Fame here called Greatest Finishes, and they had the five top finishes that I had picked, and I'd forgotten doing this a few months ago. And my number one is the 1976 Daytona 500, just the impact that that race had and the, the great finish that it was. And that's just a notch ahead of the 79 Daytona 500. But the call that Ken Squire had at the end of that broadcast and the way that he described him sliding, slamming, coming across the line, and then describing how Richard's car wouldn't restart and describing uh, how David was able to get his car. And he said, you know, and the winner is going to be car number 21. I mean, I'll never forget that. Just three years later, another incredible moment would unfold on the white flag lap of the 1979 Daytona 500 as Donnie Allison and Cale Yarborough battled for the lead. The events to follow would hand the win to Richard Petty and ignite one of the most infamous fist fights in NASCAR history. Donnie leads Cale Yarborough by two car lengths. They're one groove from the top of the racetrack, and Cale's Bush Oldsmobile stays aligned right on the back bumper of Donnie Allison. They're out of turn two. They're down the back stretch. Here goes Cale on the inside. Cale makes the move. He's down very close to the grass. Donnie tries to shut him off. Cale's in the grass. Cale loses it. He tries to pull it back. Donnie side by side. They make contact. Both head toward the wall. They hit the wall in turn number three. We'll have a new leader. We've got them diving down into the infield now as we look for the leaders coming up the back straightaway. They are in turn two in front of Mike Joy. Here comes Richard Petty. He leads Darrell Walter by five car lengths. Five more lengths back to A.J. Foyt. Race traffic. Walter closes, but Petty is up there. Caution is on the racetrack, and it will be a battle back to the start-finish line. Heavy traffic in three. Walter running right behind Petty. A.J. Foyt is right there. They move to the high side. They want to pass Ty Scott. Richard brings him to the four. Richard Petty takes the outside. He's got Darrell Walter close behind. Two car lanes back to A.J. Foyt. Richard Petty takes it into the trioval. He's got the advantage right now. Here they come to the stripe. Richard Petty's STP Oldsmobile. Waltrip dives to the inside. Petty almost put him off in the grass. And Richard Petty will win the Daytona 500. The Petty crew jumping up and down on pit road, congratulating each other. This Daytona 500 has had it all. Donnie Allison, Cale Yarborough crash in turn three on that final lap. 
the 1979 Daytona 500 is history. And ladies and gentlemen, the winner is Richard Petty. Jackie, over in turn three, we interrupt for a moment. Kale and Donnie, both out of the cars. Bobby Allison has brought his car down there. A furious discussion taking place just down below the banks of turn number three. And now it appears we may have a fist fight. We see drivers and helmets, safety officials trying to jump in there and separate them as tempers have really flared after this amazing incident on the final lap coming into turn number three. They they battle on the ground at this time and we can't see as others come running in to surround and try to separate those drivers. The impromptu bout was well-timed for NASCAR's first live flag-to-flag coverage of the Great American Race. As fists flew in turn three, snow fell throughout the Northeast, granting the telecast one of the largest live sporting event audiences in television history. The late Barney Hall was calling the action from high atop the tower that day and remembers well the incident from his perspective and from the participants' point of view as well. Got a lot of perspective on it from the people involved in it. Bobby Allison, uh, he feels one way about it. Donnie feels another. Bobby will tell you that he pulled off down there because he thought Donnie might need some help, uh, that they were having car trouble. He didn't realize it, that they were about to swap noses or whatever down right. there. But uh, between those two, it was interesting. And, and the thing that that still lingers in my mind, and, and there's one of the two participants in that thing, Donnie Allison being one, Cale Yarborough being the other, the beating and banging that they did coming off turn number two until they got into the front straightaway, it became apparent that what their mindset had to be is, if I can't win it, he ain't going to win it. And that's the way it ended up. Roger Bear recalls the sport-changing incident. Gary Gerald was on the was on the tower in turn three. And I said, oh, I like it out there. I'll go out there with you and I'll, I'll stand on the tower and I'll watch the race. And we had a little headset and I could listen up there as well. I'm on the tower watching the finish of that first telecast, live telecast of the Daytona 500 and the great finish of that race when Kale and Donnie came down the backstretch right in front of us, banging together, slamming into the wall, and then the lap, and then finishing up down below us to our left, not completely in view, but we could pretty much see it, and Bobby coming back around the track on the next lap, pulling down there where they are, and them all getting into a fight. I'm standing right there, and Gary Gerald is making the call. That was one of the great experiences of my life, to be able to enjoy that. For Dale Earnhardt fans, the 1998 Daytona 500 checkers marked a lifetime memory. And it was a long time coming. Five, can he pull it off? He's working Earnhardt over in turn one. Earnhardt shows the way back into turn one, hugging the inside of the racetrack with Bobby Labonte, a car length behind him. Mayfield rides along in third now, then Ken Schrader in fourth, fifth is Rusty Wallace. The battle is going on for the sixth spot. Oh, and there's trouble off the turn. One car slides down to the inside at his late speed. He makes contact with John Andretti. Both cars spin down to the inside of the racetrack as everyone else gets away. This is the race for the win of the Daytona 500 field in three. Earnhardt swings up to the top of Rick Bass, the lap car on the bottom of the racetrack. Dale Earnhardt puts on the block. Earnhardt slips off turn four, back to the checkered flag. Earnhardt in front of Bobby Labonte, a lap car to the inside. Rusty Wallace make that Mayfield and Labonte banging for second to the stripe. Dale Earnhardt comes to the white flag and the caution flag, and Dale Earnhardt is going to win the Daytona 500 in his 20th try. It'll be Earnhardt coming to the stripe, finally eluding the one prize in NASCAR racing that is eluding him the most over his illustrious career. And now coming down the pit lane will be the champion of the 1998 Daytona 500, Dale Earnhardt, all the pit crews, all of them, 
out on pit lane to salute the man who has accomplished so much in this sport except win its biggest race. He doesn't have to answer that question anymore after today. 20 years of hard work, I tell you. Thank the good Lord for a good day. I tell you, we got a lot of great race fans, a lot of people behind me that really all week long they say, this is your week, this is your week. Richard Childers has got one heck of a race team. I'm talking about everybody works for Richard Childers from the 31 to 3 truck. Everybody, all this three team, everybody's worked so hard for this. I, I can't I can't believe we won it in the fashion we did. We raced them hard and we, you know, it's just a good race car. It says a lot for the team. It says a lot for all our sponsors. Everybody works so hard at Chevrolet Monte Carlo. It is something else. MRN anchorman, Alan Bestwick. You know what? I honestly don't remember a lot about it except the outcome. I think I was still having a hangover of the 1990 race when I was out on the backstretch and there was a half a lap to go and it got away from it. And the laps are counting down. Man, could this possibly be it? And then there's a caution going to come out. Well, at that time, you raced back to the caution. So he's still got to get from where he was when that yellow flag started waving back to the finish line and then follow the pace car all the way around without running out of gas or having a wheel fall off his car and to actually win the race. So I remember just thinking in my head, don't call the election until it's official. Circumstances are what they are, describe them accurately, but he hasn't won it till he gets back here. And the checkered flag is waving, not the yellow and the white flag. And then obviously the aftermath is just, uh, just awesome. Having watched how cruel that race had been to him, there was no way to not be overjoyed for him. Look, people had their experiences with Dale Earnhardt. Mine were generally really great ones. And to see his reaction at winning that race and everyone's reaction to him winning that race was still probably one of the coolest things I've experienced uh, in sports. The crewmen all lining up to high-five him was kind of like the, that's the lasting image. But then when he got out of the car in victory lane and he's standing there and that smile was bigger than his mustache, beaming, and his fists are in the air and he's shaking his arms up and down and to see the joy that it brought is is uh, is a great memory to me. For the Richard Childress Racing crew, this record had played out so many times before. A dominant day for the black and white Goodwrench number no. 3 Chevrolet had gone by the wayside due to a myriad of circumstances. For Winston Kelly, the victory placed him amid a pit road celebration of epic proportion. Yeah, it's kind of an after the fact because we had gotten so used to him getting so close. You know, I will vividly remember being on pit road, watching the crew celebrate, and then watching Dale come down and doing his donuts that ended up looking like a three, and then coming down pit road, and the entire crew, every crew member coming out and congratulating him. And it was almost like relief. You know, I wasn't in victory lane as Jim Phillips was, but it was almost like for those who had watched him come so close, you didn't have to be an Earnhardt fan to know that was a big moment. And, and we try not to be fans. I do love big moments in first. So I have to say I appreciated the significance of that moment. But I also thought this is the first of what now will be several. When you think about it, he had won 10 straight qualifying races. It's like, you know, it was just always that little something that didn't work out at the 500, and you're always waiting for something to happen. So it's like, finally, he deserves it. 
you know, it's it's a cherry on top of his Daytona cake, if you will. The 2007 Daytona 500 had its share of excitement as Kevin Harvick stole the show from Hall of Famer Mark Martin. Mark Martin brings the field to the back straightaway. Everybody in single file, the front two, front three cars. Here's Kyle Busch to the outside, to the inside. Martin throws the block. Busch slams into Harvick. Harvick's up the outside. Harvick's looking for the win. Here comes Kevin Harvick. He draws even with Mark Martin side by side for the race lead and for the win. Martin down low. Kevin Harvick wheel to wheel. Busch spins off turn four. Kyle Busch spins. Matt Kenseth spins. But here comes the race to the Daytona 500 victory at the stripe. Kevin Harvick gets it by inches, comes out of nowhere, and Kevin Harvick is the 2007 Daytona 500 winner. Meanwhile, a calamity coming off turn four. Cars are spinning some upside down. The finish stood as the closest in Daytona 500 history for nearly a decade. For the veteran Martin, the runner-up result would be his career best in the great American race. Always a sportsman, Martin took it in stride. I know we all wanted to win. I wanted to win with all my heart, and so did my whole team. But, you know, this is what I wanted. I wanted a shot at the Daytona 500. And, you know, we were within inches of getting it done. And, and uh, you know, I, I'll say again, we all really wanted to win. And, and our heart aches right now. But at the same time, I'm so proud of, of this team and, and, and to drive for the U.S. Army. And, and uh, you know, we had huge power under the hood with that Hendrick uh, Chevy power. And, I mean, we had a shot at it. And, and, you know, I didn't get it done. For NASCAR Nation, 2011 also ranks high on the jaw drop and emotional scales. Here come Carl to the bottom. He's got drafting help. He's up to fourth. He's up to third. Here comes Carl Edwards as Bain leads to three. Something's got to give. Here comes Carl Edwards. He's got momentum. David Gilliland giving him a shove to the inside of Labonte. Now Trevor Bain will cross over the final time off four. Trevor Bain playing defense. He's out in front at age 20. He's going to win the 53rd Daytona 500. Trevor Bain gets the win for the Wood Brothers, and they're dancing on pit road, Alex Hayden. They are indeed. Leonard Wood, one of the pioneers of NASCAR racing. He's going to run out and celebrate. Donnie Wingo is down here. Edsel Ford is down here. All of the Ford family on top of the pit box. And there are high fives, and more importantly, there are tears around Mr. Wood. Congratulations, you're going back to Victory Lane in Daytona. Oh, thank you very much. That's, that's the most awesome race ever. The, the guy was so talented. It was just wonderful. Has this changed the way you guys approach the rest of this season? Uh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Leonard Wood and the Wood Brothers are headed back to Victory Lane at the World Center of Racing. Patrolling Pit Road, MRN anchor Alex Hayden covered the number 21 all afternoon. And when they came across the stripe to win the Daytona 500, of course, the pit crew's going nuts. Everybody's going nuts. And as tradition, the booth people from MRN throw at the pit road to try to get the, the emotion and the reaction uh, to the start-finish line and, and the checkered flag. And, and I saw Leonard Wood, NASCAR Hall of Famer, legendary Wood brother. Everybody's on pit road jumping up and down, having a, the celebration of a lifetime. And Leonard is just sitting on the pit wall watching. And I thought, okay, they threw it to me from the booth, so I was live on, on the air. And I just looked at Leonard kind of took my, my right hand and kind of pointed at the microphone that I was holding in my left hand and kind of gave him that look while I was talking. It's like, do you want to talk? And he absolutely he waved me in. And, and then he actually set me down on the wall next to him. And I interviewed Leonard Wood and the legendary Wood Brothers as Trevor Bain was doing the cool-down lap after just winning the Daytona 500 
all the history with the Wood Brothers, especially with Daytona and David Pearson and, and, and A.J. Foyt, so many greats that have driven for them. To do that interview was special. The 2012 500 left an impression on fans and a dent on the rear end of a jet dryer, courtesy of Juan Pablo Montoya. Oh, there's trouble off the end of the back straightaway. Juan Pablo Montoya's car has blown apart right with the jet blowers that were working to the high side of the banking. Matter of fact, Juan Pablo has hit one of the jet dryers and the car has exploded. Right now, the safety crews are on the scene tending to Juan Pablo Montoya's car in an unbelievable accident. Under caution here at Daytona. Juan Pablo is out of the car, walking around now, sitting down on the grass there. Let's go back to Mike Bagley. What exactly happened there? Well, I, it happened at the corner of my eye, Joe. It looks like that Juan Pablo made contact with one of the jet dryers that was working on the high side of the banking, and right now, the fuel is running out of the jet dryer onto the racing surface, with some flame coming from that machine, and now it begins to catch fire. Safety crews are trotting down the banking, as now a huge fire has erupted from one of the safety trucks over here tending to Juan Pablo Montoya simultaneously, but a massive fire has erupted from one of the jet dryers over here in turn three. MRN's Mike Bagley rather incredulously called the action from the turn. That race will be known just for that situation. Juan Pablo Montoya hitting the jet dryer. And what a lot of fans and a lot of folks don't know, even some of my coworkers don't know this. I was in AFib the entire broadcast. That was the first moment that I realized that I had a personal health issue. And I remember just trying to muscle through, pushing through. I'm like, my heart's not acting right. Why, am I, why is my heart beating so fast? I'm short of breath. And of course, you know, racing at Daytona is naturally exciting, and that'll take the blood pressure up. Then you got all this. And I remember that we went under the caution flag, and I was trying to get my breath. I was trying to get back in rhythm. And I, I, I put my, my arms up on the, uh, on the railing of my turn position, and I put my head down. And all of a sudden, the cars were nowhere near me. The cars were on the front side going through the trioval. And all of a sudden, I hear this, boom! What in the world is that? And I pick up my head and I turn around. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I see some fire come in. Well, that's not normal. You know, you see a little flash of flame when they fire it up. And then I look down on the apron and I, and I, I, I see I see Juan Pablo Montoya's car there and he's getting out. And that's when I key up. Guys, we've got a problem. We've got trouble over here in turn three. And then the fire billows from this jet dryer. Fuel starts running down the racetrack. And I'm just like, oh, my God, the racetrack has just burst into flames. What in the world are we going to do now? How are we going to clean this up? It took us two plus hours to do it. But, you know, we had to get, I mean, the back end of the jet dryer was melted into the asphalt. And I remember Robin Pemberton coming out there, Mike Helton coming out there, all these NASCAR officials coming out there. You got to get this jet blower and jet dryer off the racetrack. You then got to get the flames put out. The asphalt's got to cool. You got to pack it. You got to fill it. You got to all this stuff. I'm like, there's no way we're going to resume this race. There's no way whatsoever. They're able to do it. And of course, that provided an opportunity for our friends at Tide when they had to wash the racetrack and all the jet fuel off and then basically recreate asphalt, patch it and get it back into a condition so we'll finish the race. That obviously delayed the race for hours and hours and hours, and then that created you know, a post-midnight conclusion to that race, a race that had already been delayed. Totally took me by surprise, and I could not believe. I would say I was maybe 100 yards from where... 
that contact happened where the flames were, but I could feel the heat that far away. It was an inferno, and I was just in disbelief just watching the jet fuel with its contrail of flame roll down the banking and watching everybody trying to get out of the way and scurry out of the way, and then the ultimate cleanup. And kudos to Daytona for having that issue happen, cleaning it up, patching that portion of the racetrack and being able to conclude the race. I never thought we were able to do it. And in the end, we did. Pretty spectacular day. The 2001 Daytona 500 will go down as one of the most infamous in NASCAR history. According to MRN anchorman Joe Moore, what started as a normal day was anything but at the finish. No one could have anticipated the loss of Dale Earnhardt. The race that really stands out in my mind is the 2001 Daytona 500. It was also the first year that I was full-time in the booth working alongside Barney Hall at the World Center of Racing. So there's all that pressure, trying to get everything right, trying to get my act together, trying to understand, trying to follow the flow. And for that race to end like it did, and we went off the air without knowing anything for sure about Dale's condition. They go back to turn one for the final time. We'll soon find out Michael Waltrip doing everything he can to hold on to the race lead. He has to go low to block Dale Earnhardt Jr. He keeps it pinned down low. Earnhardt Jr. still riding in second. They're all chasing Michael Waltrip on the super stretch. Does Earnhardt Jr. have anything left? He's going to try. Waltrip to the bottom. Trying to throw on the block. Successful so far. Three wide behind. Halfway down the back straightaway. Waltrip with maybe a one car length lead over Earnhardt Jr. to three. Michael Waltrip showing the muscle. Everything stacks up from third on back. Dale Earnhardt gets turned sideways. He'll take Schrader. Earnhardt and Schrader are in the wall. Waltrip leads off four. Coming down to the finish though, it is Michael Waltrip trying to hold off Dale Earnhardt Jr. in 463 tries. Finally, Michael Waltrip is going to win a NASCAR Winston Cup race, winning the Daytona 500, the biggest of them all. Dale Earnhardt Jr. is second, Rusty Wallace third, Ricky Rudd fourth, and fifth is Bill Elliott. Let's go to Eli Gold. Sitting directly in front of me, the Ken Schrader car and the Dale Earnhardt car. Earnhardt was on the low side of the racetrack. Someone turned his car. He went shooting up the banking directly into the route that Kenny Schrader was occupying. Schrader now very quickly calling over for the medical crews to come to attend and check on Dale Earnhardt. So Schrader climbing from his car very quickly ran to the number three, peers into the car, and calls to the medical crews who are quickly coming to the scene. Dale Earnhardt took a really hard shot into that outside wall of the final lap here at Daytona. We'll update you further there in just a moment. Mike Bagley had a bird's eye view with a crash and just knew something was up. I had just handed the cars off to Eli Gold, who was working turn four that day. And I remember I was I was watching I was watching the cars come up the back straightaway, and I, I remember thinking to myself as I'm making the call, like, this is weird. You've got the three car that isn't pushing for the win; he's blocking right now. What what what's that about? And as we walk our way through that call, it's like, oh my gosh, Michael Walter's about to win this race, and this is a brand new race team. This is this is the first outing for DEI, and I remember handing them off. And I'm watching the cars, and I'm hearing Eli describe the play-by-play, and then he calls the crash of Earnhardt, and he took Ken Schrader up in the wall with him. And he just stood there. And you're like, I didn't look that bad, you know, going to hop out of the car, and things are going to be good. And then and then all of a sudden, here comes here comes the call. Michael Waltrip wins the Daytona 500. 
and in in one breath and in one thought, you're like, "Wow, boy, that was a, that was weird." You know, we Earnhardt got turned on to the apron. You don't see that much. You don't see you know Dale getting collected in something like that. And then you see Dale hit the wall, and then in the very next breath, you know, the scene shifts back to the front of the field, and Michael Waltrip goes to victory lane in his first ride with DEI in the 500. Joe Moore also shared that sick feeling. And I remember just, I mean, just sitting on the burner up there, listening to two-way radio communication, trying to decipher what they meant with the coded verbiage I was hearing. Somehow we got through, you know, we we said, you know, he's been taken to the hospital and, you know, we will uh, update you further tomorrow on NASCAR today because in those days we didn't have a website. It was a lot of pressure that day. And, you know, the race went great until we came down to that last lap. And then we stayed on the air uh, an additional period of time trying to get some some final news. We climbed in the car and we went to another announcer's house on the way to the airport. And uh, once we got there, we got the word that that Dale Earnhardt had uh, had died from his injuries. Pit reporter Jason Toy covered the number three pit that day and remembers the emotions. Before the race, I can remember sitting down there in driver introductions and Dale Earnhardt Sr., who was, you know, he was the king. You know, I'm not saying anything from Richard Petty, but at the time then he was the guy that everybody looked up to. And sitting down there with some young drivers saying, tell them to be safe out there. Be smart and be safe. Which, you know, it was like, I was sitting there just kind of listening back. And then, you know, we're doing the race, um, everything going along well, rolling on with the 500. And then, of course, uh, the accident happened in turn number four. But prior to that, we always position ourselves in, as pit reporters in the what we anticipate maybe the winning pit area. I was in Dale Earnhardt Sr.'s pit. Chocolate Myers and I were standing side by side. We luckily had one of the ISM screens, which, you know, back then was just a jumbotron, but now it's an ISM vision screen. Uh, behind us and we were watching it saw the wreck I watched the crew just get mad because it looked like a normal wreck uh, and they were mad because they lost the dates on the 500 and then uh, and then things kind of changed from there we know the history about what happened with, with Dale but just to watch the roller coaster of emotions go that day you know from angry to the fact of okay there's something wrong here and then the fact of you know eventually what uh, had happened happened with the passing of dale Earnhardt senior and you know with us on the motor racing network we get emotionally involved in it because these people become our friends you know a lot of them become family um over the years and then we were all together after the race um having you know just kind of we always joke around and call it fellowship, you know, but we were together after the race having dinner and just kind of unwinding because none of us really flew out the next day. And then that was the word when we come across the, the scroll on TV that he had passed away, and we just all in awe and shock. As Dale Earnhardt Jr. rushed to his father, Winston Kelly was there. Well, in hot pursuit of Dale Earnhardt Jr., who was going out toward turn four to see if he can find out about his father, he's looking uh, for the care center. Dale Jr., the care center's this way. They don't know anything yet about your father. Tell us about those last few laps. Well, I was trying to stay behind Michael and see what happened at the end. But uh, they had a big wreck back here, so they didn't have real help. So Michael won his first race. Did you have any chance of getting around him, or did you have to have some help? I was just hanging on. He had a good car. We were just hanging on. Hell of a race for Michael. I'm proud of him. I'm glad for the DEI for... Finished one and two today. It's pretty cool. 
That's Dale Earnhardt Jr. who's going to the care center. He's trying to check on his father. He comes home second in a Budweiser Chevy. I still get chills. I did the pre-race interview with Dale. Uh, so I guess I got the dubious distinction of doing the last interview with Dale. But he was so relaxed, in such a good mood, had a good car all week. Then when the accident happened, it didn't look that bad. I saw it on the big screen, and it didn't look that bad. So I go to talk to the second through fifth place finishers, and Dale Jr., of course, finishes second. He gets out of the car, and he looks at me real frantic and says, have you heard anything about Daddy? I can't understand why he's frantic, because it looked like just any other wreck. And I said, I hadn't heard anything. So he started jogging toward where he thought the uh, infield care center was. It had just been moved between the July race and then. And I jogged after him. And uh, then he went to the old location on the other side of the garage and turned around and said, where's the care center? And as I'm telling him, they pitch it to me. And I said, you know, Dale Earnhardt Jr. is headed to the care center to check on his dad. He's right here. Tell me your thoughts at the end of the race. And he gave me a great interview, you know, ended the interview. And then, you know, I pointed him to where the care center is. And I felt horrible after the fact, you know, when I found out what had happened. Uh, We didn't find out for sure until we were all back at the hotel. We were all flying out the next Monday morning. Uh, So we didn't find out. But as I came back through the garage area after doing that interview, I talked to one of the RCR guys, and they said, all Richard told us is we're going to have to be strong. I took that to mean Dale's going to be out of the car for a few weeks, and he's not going to be able to run for the championship, and they're going to have to substitute driver. You know, as I look back uh, in in the ashen look on the, the crew member's name, I don't think he knew at that time, but I think he sensed. I'm confident Dale Jr., when he came around the track and saw the activity around his dad's car, that he could tell how serious it was because they were not as frantic as what you might see uh, how they were dealing with it. And, and I'll also never forget at Texas a few weeks later was the first time I actually saw Dale Jr. and apologized for even bothering him at that time. And he put his hands on both of my shoulders. He said, you had no way of knowing he said, you guys have always been incredibly respectful of everybody. He said, you had no way of knowing. You don't ever think another thing about it. NASCAR Hall of Famer and MRN co-anchor Rusty Wallace finished a career best third. But the seriousness of the crash had the most impact on his career. I'll never forget, uh, my car actually blew a right front tire early in the race and tore the fender up in the right front. I got that all back and got the lap back with only like 10 laps to go or something in the race and caught him. And we went into turn three, four wide. And then I saw him in the bottom of the racetrack, and he flies across the front of my hood and goes up and hits the wall. Now, here's the first thing that comes to my mind. Remember, we used to go to Daytona. We would test and test and test, right, guys? We'd yep, test, test, right. test. It was almost like the month of May at Daytona, kind of like Indy. Yeah. We would test and test and test, and, and, and he hit the wall. Well, that night before the race, we're at the Chart House restaurant in Daytona. I rented a boat. He had his boat, and we're all stood on it. We're having a great time. We're drinking Miller Lights, and he's drinking his Budweiser. We're having a big time. And uh, we go to the racetrack the next day. And when he comes across and he hits that wall, the first thing that I thought about was, oh, man, he is going to be mad. He's been here for a week, and it's the last corner he's done wrecked his car. And I went on, and I finished third, and I'm so happy I can't see straight, you know? That's the only thing that was on my mind. Because I have hit walls like he hit. He has hit walls harder than he hit there. Right. 
We've all crashed and flipped and went crazy. In 1993, you mentioned with me 25 times end over end. You know, I've watched Dale hit that wall of Pocono crazy. Uh, so to me, it was just kind of a, a normal big wreck like we've all been in. Yep. Never, ever would have thought that he would have lost his life in that wreck. You know, so that was an incredible day. And when Dale lost his life, I thought, you know what? If I try to pay somebody back, I might hurt that guy. It, I don't mean to physically hurt him. I meant just to, as Dale would say, rough his day up a little bit, you know. But man, it made me really think after he lost his life. If I'm if, if I'm mad at this guy, do I want to try to take him out? He might hit that wall wrong. He might die, dude. I don't want to have that happen. So that was that was a, a, a day that a lot of things went through people's minds. The loss devastated NASCAR nation. For some, Earnhardt, the sport's greatest, the intimidator, the man in black, was gone. Racing went on without Earnhardt, but for many, emotions continued to flow as the schedule clicked forward, ultimately cycling back to Daytona for the July Classic. And Barney, although it is the time of the year for celebration and festivities, and we always look forward to coming to Daytona, this time it's a little bit different because something is missing. And, of course, that something is Dale Earnhardt. It was here at Daytona the last time we saw the black number three Goodrent Chevrolet racing. Joe, I think after two days here at the Speedway, for all of us involved in Winston Cup racing, we've answered the question, how would we feel coming back here where Dale Earnhardt lost his life back in February? I know for myself, there have been many different answers and emotions for myself and probably everyone else. But I think there is a sense of relief in coming back here and, and now accepting the fact that Dale Earnhardt is no longer here. He is gone. And I think if Earnhardt could speak to everybody here, he'd say, enough. Get on with your life because life is short. And for us, we'll miss him. He gave this sport some of the greatest memories I've ever had in it. And, and I want to remember the good times with Dale Earnhardt. And I think we should kind of get on with it. Albeit one of the high points of the schedule, Winston Kelly recalls the undeniable feeling of dread as the 400 unfolded. Final time to the back straightaway. Dale Earnhardt Jr., Michael Waltrip, rolls reverse from the way they ran down the back straightaway on the final lap in February. They go nose to tail. Sadler and Labonte side by side for third. It's Earnhardt in a turn three. Earnhardt is your leader. Michael Waltrip is second. And the battle is side by side for third. But here comes Dale Earnhardt Jr. He'll lead on turn four. What a headline this is going to make. Dale Earnhardt Jr. comes back to the Daytona International Speedway, leading the pack, coming to the line. He will win the Pepsi 400. Michael Waltrip, his teammate, comes in second. Uh, Bobby Labonte hit me a couple times, and I know he, I know that he wanted to see me win, and I could tell it. And then Michael coming there the last two laps, and I knew that uh, I didn't have a whole lot to worry about. And... Uh, it's just a great race, a great race all the way around. I want to thank Bud Weiser and Remington, all our sponsors, Snap-on Tools. Everybody's hung in there with us, and uh, this is what it's all about. You've been bragging about this car all week long. Did it change any at all during the race? It didn't change a lick. We tried to adjust some air pressure. We just went back to where we started. It was great from the beginning. Uh, I hope them fans enjoyed it. I know I was out front an awful lot, but dang, I didn't know what else to do with the car I had. What does this win mean to you? This win is probably, this win is definitely the biggest of my career. I love coming to Daytona. I always came here as a little kid and just walked into place with my jaw dragging the ground. And uh, to win here, uh, especially under the circumstances, it really means a lot. It's really almost overwhelming. I don't really know how I'm going to top it. I think we were all in a funk when we got there. And many of us, I don't remember any of the details. There's some some weekends you remember different details 
I think we were just all in a funk wanting to get through it. And then with Dale winning, I think it's like it like putting an air hose into a tire that's flat. It's like everybody just got pumped up. Everybody was so excited and thought, if he can deal with this, and I cannot imagine the pressure and the emotions he was under during that whole year, two years, however long it took him, but for him to win and to see the exuberance in his eyes that he didn't get out of the car and be melancholy. You know, that, that would have had a different impact on the industry. But he was genuinely excited. And I think that's when people realize he's his daddy's son. He knows how to work the air. They can say see the air all they want to. He knows how to work the air because he had to work his way back up front. And then once you got up there, you weren't, a crowbar wasn't going to take him out of the way. And, and I think Michael, whether he could have tried to pass him or not, it's like he helped push me to victory. In February, I'm going to do the same thing here, and we're going to do it for Dale. Hall of Famer and MRN analyst Rusty Wallace. Well, talk about from going from lows to high to see his son come back at Daytona and win that race in July. For me and for a lot, a lot of people, it was, it was a real tearjerker moment. It was really uh, an exciting race. I remember I, that particular race, I had an opportunity to, after that race was over to go on a little bit of vacation down to the Bahamas. And I remember down there talking about it a lot and going, wow, can you believe that? How, how could that happen? You know, you lose Dale, and then his son wins the next time we go back. And it had to be hard for his son to be going into turn three multiple times and knowing that's where his father passed away. As serendipity would have it, Dale Earnhardt Jr. was victorious in the first NASCAR event after the New York City terror attacks of 9-11. Welcome back to the Dover Downs International Speedway, where MRN Radio is here to bring you live coverage of the 27th race of the year for the NASCAR Winston Cup Series, the MBNA Cal Ripken Jr. 400. I'm Joe Moore, along with Barney Hall. And, of course, we skipped last week. We're not able to go up to New Hampshire and run the race. It was scheduled to be run there. And with all the events that have taken place in our nation, Barney, it is great to get back to the racetrack. Yeah, I think that uh, this has helped everybody to kind of get back to what we do for a living and what our regular lives are more or less like and uh, I think everybody in the garage the mindset's a little bit different here this weekend than we've seen in a stock car race in a long long time but everybody's ready to get on with it. There are uh, representations of the Stars and Stripes everywhere you look around this racetrack on top of the scoreboard a huge sign that says God bless America and as I mentioned before everybody here has their own American flag it was given to them as they came in here this afternoon and they've been waving them all morning and probably will all day today. Barney he's all by himself back to turn two the Budweiser Chevrolet up onto the back straightaway he has lap cars ahead of him but he won't catch them as Dale Jr. set sail into turn three looking for the checkered flag off turn four it'll be a very popular win here at Dover Downs this afternoon he won at Daytona in the Pepsi 400 he scores his second win here today in the first state of Delaware Dale Earnhardt Jr. wins the MBNA Cal Ripken Jr. 400 Jerry Nadeau gets second Ricky Rudd is third Jeff Gordon fourth and it's a really emotional day really uh, really happy to have carried the American flag around the racetrack here at the end. Uh, I've never done a Polish victory lap before. That's probably the last one I'll do, but uh, it was for good reason, and uh, I'm real happy to win this race. I mean, it's a good, a good boost for the crew, the Budweiser team, and everybody involved. For Delaware native Mike Bagley, that Dover clash represents the proudest moment of his MRN career. I've never been a part of anything so patriotic in all my life. Nothing eclipses the show of patriotism and unity of country that we had when we came back racing at Dover and Dale Jr. won that race that day. The sea of American flags, the chants of USA, USA, Lee Greenwood, 
singing God Bless the USA. And I was a part of that broadcast that day. And I remember just walking in the gates and it felt different. Everybody was each other's brother. There was none of this division that we're experiencing today. What we're experiencing today couldn't be any further different than what we had back in 2001. And it couldn't be any further apart. That day, everybody was an American. NASCAR helped bring a nation back together. We were one of the first sports to go back to work. There were a lot of folks watching that day. And our most popular driver won the race that day. I went back and I watched NBC and how they covered it. And it was just breathtaking. It was the most patriotically transcendent moment that I believe I have ever been involved in as a human. And even just talking about it now, I get goosebumps. On the next episode of MRN Presents 50 Years, the voice of NASCAR, we'll continue to look at some of the most memorable moments captured by the MRN microphones. Until then, I'm Fred Armstrong. Have a great week. Richard Petty goes back in front. They both spin. They're in the wall. Petty is sliding, slamming into the wall. He's coming down toward the finish line. Will he make it? He's still moving. The car stops 300, 400 feet shy of the finish line. This program was a presentation of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina and Daytona Beach, Florida. And now it appears we may have a fist fight. We see drivers and helmets, safety officials trying to jump in there and separate them as tempers have really flared after this amazing incident on the final lap coming into turn number three. MRN presents 50 Years, the voice of NASCAR, was written and produced by Alexa Henrion. Dale Earnhardt comes to the white flag and the caution flag, and Dale Earnhardt is going to win the Daytona 500 in his 20th try. Any use of the accounts or descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network. NASCAR season is here, and Toyota Racing is looking for clashers. Did you clash at the Coliseum with your favorite Toyota drivers? Clashing with the HOA, who won't let you carve bell number 20 into your lawn. Or maybe your Tyler Reddick shirt clashed with your pants while meeting the in-laws. If you're a clasher, then we want you. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc.